One, two, one, two, one, two. Morning, you guys. Just turn to the guy next to you and say, wow, you can sing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you think you can or not. What it sounds like, I don't know. I love it. I'm sure God loves it too. Twenty-five or thirty-five years—I'm underrating him—of um, of being in church. That's a, it's a huge statement to make for someone as like authentic as him. He felt that the Sunday that they were here in our worship session, um, I think Mariah led or Sarah led or someone. He said it was it was the most authentic worship session he had been in by God's grace, obviously. God's grace. Let's not get puffed up about it. But I love that because, you know, I love the fact that Mike and Christine arrive with all their children in the middle of deep worship. I'm not kidding you. I genuinely love it. And one of them have a meltdown because it's funny. It's, it's so funny. Now, I'm not saying leave, leave your kids and let them run them. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm just saying I love the fact that God chooses to dwell in us. And if we are hyper-focused on perfection, we're going to miss the face of God. We're going to miss the face of God. And the, the premise, the, the thing that God came to tear down was this obsession of us, of ours, in our human nature, to, to present something perfect to a God who, who embodied our imperfection by becoming like us. I don't know how to say it. Does it make sense? That's why we have instituted sacrificial systems, because we want to, we want to pay. Yeah. Gideon. Okay, give me a chair, please. Shawnee, bring me one of those bar chairs, please. Um, yeah, anyway, so let's turn together this morning. I'm going to just speak a little bit about this... Um, the, about Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Is this going on and off? Is this going in and out? Davy, what are we going to do? Where's Feltman? He's left? Oh, he's peeing. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to sit down. I've never sat down in preaching, okay? I'm going to sit down because I just want to... No, I want to resume a, resume a, a position of... of of mellowness. And also I read in the Gospels that Jesus went up the mountain and sat down with his disciples. So, and also because I really want to try and focus and stick to my notes. I feel like I'm, if I'm sitting down, I'm going to focus. So, um, and don't look at my funny glasses. So Lord, we thank you that you are the same throughout the ages, uh, that you've, you've always been the same. Um, and on a weekend where we are stopping a bit to, 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 to give thanks, I pray that our hearts would be filled with genuine, legitimate gratitude. Uh, and particularly for the fact that you, you actually, you literally found us and you saved us. And, um, and so much more, obviously, than that. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful that this treasure, that this, this, this treasure, 
is poured into us. Um, vessels of clay. I'm grateful. Grateful that you are our joy and our delight. Grateful that you are the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And that our preoccupation is not to memorize scripture, but to see Jesus revealed in scripture more and more. Jesus, I want to see you more and more. I want to see the world actually through you. I pray for us as a church, as Red Hill, I pray that we would see the world through the lenses of the, of the, of the, Jesus, of the God that we see in Jesus, of the love that we see on the cross, uh, a love that, that spent no energy on justifying a cause, but saw beyond it all to the joy that we would see you one day face to face. I'm so thankful for your amazing plan that was put into effect before the foundations of the earth was laid. I'm so thankful that you gave us a will, a free will, not a bound monotone will, but free so that our love could be expressed in the choices that we make. So thankful. Oh, thankful for your grace that enables us to choose. And thank you, God, that you came in Christ to reconcile us to you, not holding our sin against us. And then get us ambassadors of this glorious good news. Jesus, I know that you're much more than an experience, an encounter, that you're a person, that you are God, and that you are, you are so good, and that you are in pursuit of our hearts, and that all sin that leads to death was dealt with by you at the cross, and that you invite us to respond to this love relationship with you. Amen. 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 All right. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Second Corinthians, please, chapter five, chapter three. Cuba, it's very nice to have you back. I feel, I feel that, um, I feel that, let me, thanks, Chan. Thank you, thanks, Chan. So we're going to go from verse 7 in chapter 3. Everybody there? Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, 
will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I'm not going to stop and preach here all the time. I'm I'm just going to keep going. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. The reason why he had the veil over his face was to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, the veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This morning in prayer, Tom prayed something. I don't even realize if he knew what he was praying. And then he spoke to me afterwards. It's that turning towards the Lord that changes everything. And we always live in a dangerous place as the church to strive for perfection. And I'm not against perfection. I do like it when things work out well, and I'm sure that everybody else does. But if it, as, if it is at any moment at the expense or creates a place or a space where we feel comfortable and we know what's going to happen, it's super predictable, where our hearts are no longer pivoting towards God, towards Jesus, I feel the grace that God releases to us um, is never released. And the saddest reality is, is that we settle for a form instead of for a, for a connection. A connection. So embrace the awkward for the authentic. It's okay. As long as we connect. Okay, so this is in Christ, taken away. Even to, uh, verse seven, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory of being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this chapter, quickly just to sum it up, was the old, the law that was given to Moses, uh, we think by God, uh, to, uh, um, uh, to create a bit of a back context to this. Israel demanded a king many years before that in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And God says, please don't get a king. I want to be your king. I am your king. Don't get a king. A king will do this, 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 this. And if you go and read 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel actually warns Israel and says, a king is going to tax you. A king is going to demand from you this and this. A king is going to demand sacrifice from you, basically. And the Israelites shouted back, we want a king, preluded by the, by the, by the lines twice in that chapter, just like the other nations. And so there was a looking around of God's people and and comparative to what they saw in the world around them and a desire that went out that surpasses their connection with the living God who is our God and our King and wanted something beyond that, what the other nations had. And with that came, as some of the theologians call it, a cultural conditioning. And that cultural conditioning found itself into the Word of God, into the Bible, and I don't, mean to, I, I, mean, I don't mean to make this a laborious reality, but God dwells in our imperfection. God is not more present in your life when you are more perfect or when you get things right. 
That is the premise of what he's trying to explain here. Our efforts to live up to a set of rules and laws, this is huge, is going to sometimes get us to a place where we feel, wow, I'm not doing too bad. And as soon as we do that, we enter into what theologians call a... a, um, a um, um, a quantitative way of thinking, good or bad. I'm not doing too bad. Let me compare myself to the law. And what, what Paul is trying to explain here, to begin to explain in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, is that Christ is the final revelation of what God is like. And that in Christ we see that he came into our world, and this is the message of the cross, and to me this is the greatest news. This is really good news, that God would choose to dwell in me. Is anyone here grateful that God would choose to dwell in you? Okay. And that gratitude is huge. And, and the reality of that authenticity and feeling that gratitude is, is, a, is a very big deal. And so as we come to the fact of the, 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 the reality that he dwells in us and our imperfection, we can, we, can, we can then turn to him and be continuously transformed by, by his goodness. And... Um, yeah. So the Lord is here, uh, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, and we don't use deception nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even in our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Okay? So the glory, Christ carries this glory who is the image of God and <coughs> the veil that covers our faces could be literally a cultural condition. Even when we come to the Word, if the Word does not reveal Jesus to you, that could produce in you a cultural condition subject to the context in which that particular piece of Scripture was written. Does that broaden the story for us big time? It absolutely does. And some might ask, wow, like the guy in, chapters, in uh, Romans 6 says, well, why should I, six, uh, 5 towards the end and then 6 is 1, well, why should I uh, stop sinning? If grace abounds in sin... Why not just sin so grace get more? You're missing the point completely. Our motivation can never be to be perfect for God and keep all the rules. Okay? If it is, we miss the point. And neither can it be a licentiousness of, oh, well, if sin sin about, then what is the point? The point is love. <laughs> love. This incredible love that we see in God, in Christ. On the contrary, by setting forth truth plainly. Verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the... Um, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Wow, what an incredible statement. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Christ. Where? In the image of God. Where? Christ is the final revelation of what God is like. If you ever want to know what God is like, you see Jesus. When we were in Mexico last week uh, with, at the wedding, we, uh, we met this young guy who came in as a friend of the bride and the groom, Tony and Sam, and he is, uh, I didn't know that he was a famous guy, but he's a bit famous. He's not a Christian. And he came and he sang the song as they walked in. It was so amazing. 
uh, it was anointed. I didn't know he was a Christian. I've never met the guy. But when he started to play and sing, I felt the presence of God in the place. I really did. I'm not joking. And I thought, wow, God, this is so beautiful. It's like a moment that is like weddings are. It's so amazing. Every heart is poised. Every eye is on the bride as she walks down the aisle. And this glorious music's playing. So afterwards, we were sitting at a taco stand downtown Tecate. And we were having tacos. And I went and challenged him. And um, I found out he's not a Christian. So I said, dude, what do you think of all this that has happened in this last day? Because they made a big deal of Jesus. Okay, in this wedding, it was about Jesus and the bride. It was beautiful. And he said, my mind is blown. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Uh, It turns out this guy opens for, he tours with Ed Sheeran. He opens for Ed Sheeran. That's the kind of level this guy's at. And so I said to him, I didn't know that until after the conversation he told me, and uh, so I said, so, um, um, so he says to me, how, how do I know, you know, how do I know I'm not a Muslim? How do I know I'm not a Hindu or this? So I said to him, dude, you were created to be like, to be in the image of God. You were created by God to, to be in this love relationship with him, to sing your songs from your heart to him. He says, I feel like that sometimes. I feel like I'm singing from my heart. I don't know who, what this God even looks like, but what does this God look like? He asked me. I said, this God looks exactly like Jesus. And then he said, how will I know that? I said, he will speak to you. And his eyes filled with tears instantly, and he started crying, trying to wipe his, wipe his tears away while sucking the vape very hard. He said, Jesus will speak to me? I said, yes, he will speak to you. He speaks to people? I'm like, yeah, he speaks to you. And for me, again, and that, and that just in that little moment at the taco stand, it's like everything just came to a halt, standstill, and it was just me and, 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 and this guy. And I realized again that if you ever want to know what God is like, you have to start with Jesus because of where we're living. You have to start with Him. He is the final and the ultimate revelation of God and the greatest revelation of God. And so everything else we believe from the old, might, I'm just submitting this to you humbly, be a cultural conditioning. You've got to see the context through the cross backwards. Anything else we see this way will confuse us and make us think, wow, is this even the same God? He looks like Jesus. And here in verse, in verse 4 it says, the glory of Christ who is the image of God and then verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made light shine in our hearts, to give us the light and the knowledge of God, to give us the light and the knowledge of God, the glory of God, where? In the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, which is so amazing, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, because we'll instantly own it, claim it, put it in a bottle and sell it. But it's from God. And we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Has anyone ever been in any of those contexts in this room? Put up your hand, please. Four? Wow. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that this life, his life, may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, 
Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Chapter 4, verse 1. We do not lose heart. Chapter 6, verse 16. We do not lose heart. That outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And now, for chapter 5. Are you ready? Sean, is it up behind me? We love you, Sean. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for his very purpose and he has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is it. Therefore, we are always confident and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident. I say, I prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him and things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, it is for your sake, for the sake of God. If we are out of, in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, because we are convinced that one died for all and all died, we regard no one from a worldly point of view from a point of view, worldly, that is swayed by what our cultural conditioning says. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, because we wanted a king just like the other nations did, do you understand the jump I'm making there? We do no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. Why? He dealt with all sin. One died, all died in Christ. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <coughs> what does it mean that God does not count our sins against us? The Old Testament and the law given there was seen for many, many hundreds of years to, to, to be the way to get right with God. And then Paul says, in the light now of Jesus... Wait. The law no longer becomes this milestone that we can get to. The law makes it very obvious that we can't get to God by obeying the rules. Paul says, wait, look at Christ. The law was actually given to us to emphasize our sinful nature and therefore our inability to, through obedience to a set of rules, please God. God wanted connection with our hearts. And so he became sin, who knew no sin, the depravity, the thing that ends and consequentially ends in death, just like he went all the way to death on the cross, so that we could be free from the bondage, as Paul says in Hebrews, or the author of Hebrews, from the law that is a bondage upon us, a way of thinking, a conditioning of our thinking. And my prayer is for us as a people to walk more and more and more and more into the reality of what Jesus is and that God looks exactly like him, so that we can, in effect, really be true ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Because if you think about it, I've thought about it, I think about it still now, what is the good news of the gospel? Yesterday, I had a young man knock on my door. He was like 15. And he was campaigning for his father, who's a politician, handing out tracts. He was from another faith. It was very obvious by the way he was dressed. And I just, I, just, I just listened to this young man. I, I, I wanted to listen to him. And a thought jumped into my mind. <laughs> While he was saying, the, the baseball diamonds are going to turn into high-rise buildings. We should do something about it. And I thought to myself, what would be the good news for this young man? I don't know how old he was. 14, 15. He was super young. What would be the good news? If we as the church, I believe, do not have that beautiful revelation of Jesus, that God is exactly like Jesus, how could we ever be ambassadors of the kingdom if we're still trying to climb the ladder, if we still think unilaterally, if we still think transaction, transactionally? I do this, God does this. I don't do this, God does this. And so my prayer, because I don't think my life is long enough to be able to get the fullness of it, or even to be able to teach it, I'm not nearly good enough, is that all cultural conditioning would fall off our thinking as we see the revealed Christ in the lives and the, and the world that we live. The scandalous grace, the sole and single motivation of everything is the love of God. I want to see it. I don't see it yet. Thank goodness Paul wrote, in 2 Corinthians 4, that this treasure, who's the revealed Christ, as I read in the two verses before that, where do we see it? The face of Christ. What is God like? The image of Christ. 
dwells is poured into vessels of clay. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Still God pours out this treasure into our lives. That as we see Jesus, and he's more and more revealed to us every day, we become true ambassadors of the kingdom. Years ago, someone, someone came to us and complained about someone else in the church. It was a different church in a different world. That this person was doing this and doing that, and, and it was so terrible. And it was terrible. I don't want to say the situation. But I couldn't help remembering that a year before, that this person sat in front of me, not as if I'm anybody, but confessed the most horrific sin that I think I've, I've on this planet. And how quickly, within one year, because of our cultural conditioning and our unilateral way of thinking, we feel that we're somehow better than others. We feel that because we have a great revelation of any particular aspect of the things of the kingdom of heaven, we feel that we have greater authority. And what it should do in you and me is give us great hope <laughs> and joy. John, don't leave. You're perfect. You're perfect, John. Yeah. So I don't think the Lord truly reflects the nature of God. I think it was a cultural conditioning. I think God gave it, and I'll never refute that reality. I believe that Moses went down. If you read Corinthians chapter 3, the reason why Moses wore the veil is because the glory was departing. The glory was, was going of his encounter with God. Amazing, the next veil, the next veil, after Moses' veil, was the veil that was torn to reveal the glory of the risen Christ. So if I stay away from the bad and do as much good as I can, then God will like me. And we literally have to come to the end of that. I think we live in a day where that is becoming obvious and people are discovering what God is actually really like. Basically, He is like Jesus. And we all knew that all along. But the point of this, when I was praying and saying, Lord, what is it that you want to communicate? Is for us to become aware of, of how we have been conditioned in our thinking. And I don't think I'll ever be able to stop preaching it as long as I live in North America. And my prayer is that you would never stop living opposite to what this world and what this culture is trying desperately to condition us into. And I'm not, I'm not talking about us reverting back to a previous culture. I'm not talking about now allying ourselves to the countries we came from, because many of us here are not Canadian inherently. They are amazing. I think they are most, most like Jesus, the Canadians. I'm not talking about reverting back to a previous cultural condition. I'm talking about seeing God fully revealed on the cross. 
I'm reading a book now, The Beginning of the Revolution or something like that by N.T. Wright. Guys, if you want your mind to be blown to smithereens as far as the atonement, read that book. I love it. It, 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 it hits every chord in my, in, my, in my soul. I don't think God is angry with us or with Jesus and that's why someone had to die. I think we demanded sacrifice. And God said, okay, because of my great love, I will enter into your cultural conditioning to walk you out. And he has never, ever stopped doing that. That's why David even says in the Psalms, at one point, God says to David, you think I was like you, but I'm not. In that particular instant, I want to, I want to elevate you. And for, every sovereign, for, every, for any sovereign being, someone who's like sovereign, has nothing to prove, does not have to be a dictator, does not have to superimpose himself on anybody's will, the greatest act of sovereignty for me, for a sovereign, a true sovereign, is to stoop down to the lowest level in his domain of that which he is sovereign over. To me, that's sovereignty. That's just to me. That's just a personal thing. Who did that? God. Where do we see that? In Christ. Whew. Turns out, God isn't a law keeper. And he doesn't have a list. And I know we read a lot of scripture, but go and read Colossians chapter 2. It's beautiful. It says there the same thing. And that's the enemy's nature. It's the enemy's nature, nature to constantly bring judgment, to bring evaluation, to bring comparison between each other. Evaluating our progress and abiding by the rules and believing. Believing the rules or not. Many people think they actually are living up to it. I do sometimes. It's called self-righteousness. And Jesus blow up, blows up the economy of keeping your debt. He has no black book. And when the description of what he's like arrives into our world and into our psyche in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that he keeps no record of wrong. It blows like a shotgun, the law, out of the water because the law is based on the reality that God keeps a record of wrong and we have to find a way to pay for that. But we see that he came and paid for that. We know that on the cross. That to me is the good news. Keeps no record of wrong. Who can live under that? I can't. And Jesus blows this economy out by keeping no debt. Sin is dealt with. And the only issue now is, will you receive it? And again, we're back to connection. Or are you lulled into a form, a form, a format? Or are you connecting with God? He wants to connect with you big time. He's pursuing you, even when you don't feel it. It's not just a feeling. Sometimes it is a feeling, but certainly not a feeling. And you can't be led by your emotions. You certainly can't be led by your feelings. But sometimes you do feel it. But He is pursuing you. He's pursuing every human being on this planet. And you, as you are in connection with Him, become the connection for the others that are, that are predestined before the foundations of the earth to know Him. It's revealed in the face of Christ. If you want to meditate on something good, start meditating on what Jesus thinks of you. And so he is... This, that, that, that's the question. You know, like years ago, I preached something called, is Jesus enough? And uh, I asked myself that again, is Jesus enough? 
because of this amazing world that we live in, technology, I was watching a show on, uh, on, uh, on um, artificial intelligence uh, yesterday about how technology is doubling, 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 and it's so exponential, you can, there's, no, there's no quantum um, formula to actually put to, to, to the, like, like th- they have created software now that rewrites the software in some way. I'm butchering this truth, but it's, it's, it's true. Just trust me. I saw it on national, I saw it on the, on the channel on the TV, okay? And so, and so the, so the uh, how can I explain it? The, uh, the artificial intelligence is now to such an extent that it literally it doubles, doubles, doubles by the second, by the second. It's absolutely exponential. And they were talking, these super clever guys, about are they going to take us over ever one day? And then they came back in the same interview to a conversation between a guy and a girl, just a random conversation, and the one guy who's like the genius of the artificial intelligence world, apparently, he's skinny, I won't tell you what nationality is, but he looks like a clever dude, looks like his whole body is just the brain. He says, no computer will ever be able to forgive. I was like, no computer will ever be able to sit like this and evaluate quick enough where this relational connection is going. God wants to connect with us. He is love. If there's a cultural condition in your thinking process that stops you from that reality, allow Him to come into that space. Even if you feel it compromises your spirituality. Jesus blows this economy out the water. New creation is what we now see. Why? The creation is not new. And I like it, Jules. No, I love it too much. Let me think of someone I don't love as much. Okay. That's a bad example. If I look at Eric, I mean, I, dude, I, I love you to death. But I don't see, uh, how can I say this? What we see is definitely determined by the lenses we see it through. Do you believe that? I can look at Eric and see an unshaven, ragged young boy. (laughs) But I don't. I mean, no, I don't even in real life. But just as an example. Or I can see him as the son, the son, the very son of God, the breath of God, with an endless potential to reach millions because of the connection he has with God. So when Paul says, you are a new creation in Christ, it means the old is gone and the new has come. So I no longer see through my cultural paradigm. I see through the final revelation of God who is Christ. It's a total dissidence in your brain. You can't figure it out. So stop trying to. It is a connection with who you are inherently because you were created for it. Only then are we the ambassadors. I think maybe people, many people believe the cross opens a way for those who believe to come to God. But it did so much, so much, so much more than that. It changed the whole way we see the world, the way we see people, the way we see nature, our families, animals, life, our jobs, our future, our skills, our art, absolutely everything. We're no longer living in a rule-based economy. (sighs) Therefore, if the love of God as seen in Christ does not compel us 
to be ambassadors of the new economy, we ultimately could still be tied to an economy system based on how well or bad we are doing in relation to keeping the rules. And Paul says, Christ is then of no value to you. He goes as far as to say, you are crucifying the Son of God again because you're stupid. What the law can't do, the love of God can. Why? Because God doesn't hold your sin against you. That changes your entire motivation from I better to I want to. I confess, I want to be free from all attempts to live up to the law. Amazing chapters you can read is Romans 5 and 6. It's unbelievably amazing. I don't have time for it. Coming into Christ frees us from the hyper-focusing on the law, that the law places on sin. And it changes from I have to to I want to. Remember, it's not what you do. It's what you're becoming. And when you look at other people and you see no change, I want to suggest take off your lenses and put other lenses on. I'm preaching to myself right now, obviously. Remember, it's not what we do, it's what we become. Therefore, it's not what we don't do, it's what we become. In Jesus, we can't but become more like God. In Jesus. So I want to end by reading Galatians chapter 5. Turn with me, please. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm there, not to let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So you're going to have to stand firm, all right? Now jump the page, please, to verse... I don't know what that verse is. My Bible's too torn up here. It's verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature... The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are always in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, your, your unilateral way of thinking transactionally, quant- quantitative way of thinking will get you nowhere. Number 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, they're obvious. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It transcends the law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And let us no longer become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Father, thank you for your word and that you are revealed in the word. And um, I thank you for this beautiful group of people. I thank you for your beautiful bride across the earth. I thank you that you are our shepherd and we shall not want or have lack. And that you truly do lead us beside still waters and you restore our soul. We love you and we'll never stop because you've loved us. We thank you, Lord, for your greatness and for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.